What I'm going to talk to you about was actually more appropriate two weeks ago or next week. And the reason I'm talking about it today is because we're starting Musar during Midrash. And so it does fit with Musar. So I'm going to back up to Genesis 45. This is where Joseph is talking to his brothers after Judah has accepted responsibility for his brother Benjamin. So Genesis 45.4 I am your brother Joseph, he whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or reproach yourselves because you sold me hither. It was to save life that God sent me ahead of you. It is now two years that there has been famine in the land, and there are still five years to come in which there shall be no yield from tilling. God has sent me ahead of you to ensure your survival on earth and to save your lives in an extraordinary deliverance. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all his household, and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. As far as scripture says, God never speaks to Joseph. Speaks to Abraham. Speaks to Isaac. Speaks to Jacob. But he never speaks directly to Joseph. Furthermore, Joseph is in the presence of his brothers and who jumped him and sold him into slavery. And it would be sort of natural for somebody to be resentful in that kind of a situation. Because he spent 20 years in slavery. Yet he doesn't. And the question then is, why does he forgive his brothers? What gives him the grace, if you will, to do that? He's standing there as the viceroy of Egypt. He's married with children. And his brothers who tormented him are prostrate before his feet. So he could say, nah, 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 nah. look at what happened to me. Look how great everything is now, see? And, oh, by the way, I forgive you, peons. You can look at it that way, right? That's not the way to do it. What I'm saying is he could say, I'm going to be in the history book. I'm going to be in the Bible. I'm going to be the one who shows up as a hero. I'm going to be the one that shows up here as a good guy. Therefore, I forgive you guys. But that isn't what's going on. If you listen to the passage of Scripture that I read, what Joseph does in that passage of Scripture is he defines what what has happened to him means. So he's been sold into slavery, was in prison, framed by Potiphar's wife. You know, all that stuff happened to him. And what he's done is he has framed that as this is what that all means. And by framing it as this is what all that means, he is then able to look upon his brothers as certainly culpable, but the instrument of God's work. Because he says, it wasn't you that did this, God did this. And God wanted me to be here so he could preserve the family and preserve your lives. So what he's done by defining what the meaning of his circumstances are, He's then able to rise above his normal human emotions and look at his brothers and say, yeah, you did it, but it wasn't your doing. 
It was God's doing. And the key here is meaning. And I've often talked to you about Viktor Frankl, a Jew who was in a concentration camp during the Holocaust. And one of the things that he did after he got out, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And the idea is, what does what I am going through mean? He has some interesting things. You can't always control your circumstances. In fact, very often you have no control over your circumstances. As I say, Joseph was jumped by his brothers and put on the back of a camel and shipped down to Egypt. And everybody in Joseph's life for the past 20 some odd years has been dictating what his circumstances are. He doesn't choose any of that. Same thing with Frankel. He got thrown into a concentration camp and during the time he was in a concentration camp the Nazis were the one who controlled his circumstances. He didn't. So he says you can't always control your circumstances but you can always control how you react to your circumstances. And that can't be taken away from you. You are not a helpless victim because what you have is the ability to frame your circumstances in terms of meaning. So, I'll tell you a story, and some of you have heard this before, I know my wife has. There's a guy driving down a road. He hears a clunking from his car. And he gets out and he discovers that at the service station they only put one lug nut on his tire. And he's looking at this thing, and there's one lug nut, and that one's sort of working loose, and his car's going thumpity, 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 thump. And he's pulled up in front of what used to be called an insane asylum. And the guy inside the grounds, one of the nuts in the asylum, right, is standing there watching all this, and the guy says, well, what you do is you just take one lug nut off of each of the other three wheels, put it on that one, and then you've got four lug nuts on each wheel, and that will get you to a gas station, and you'll be safe, and you can again replace the missing lug nut. And this guy looks at this guy and says, that's really smart. How come you're in there? And the guy says, just because I'm crazy doesn't mean I'm stupid. You know, that, that's a serious thing. And in fact, G.K. Chesterton said that the madman is not someone who has lost his reason. The madman is someone who has lost everything but his reason. So our hypothetical guy in the loony bin, perfectly smart, figure out how to solve a problem, but the problem is he has lost track of what life means and he's lost track of how to navigate life and derive meaning from what's going on in his circumstances. And he's reacting to life in a insane way. And by the way, one of the things about Aluni is that he has organized the world so it is logical to him. And the problem is, it isn't logical to anybody else. That's the basis of Chesterton's quote, is that the madman is not someone who's lost his reason. Still reasons very well, he's just reasoning from the wrong meanings. So back to Joseph. What Joseph does in his meeting with his brothers 
is he reframes the situation in light of what he believes God's plan is. And again, remember, at least according to Scripture, all he's got to work with is the fact that his brothers jumped him and sold him into slavery, and he's had two dreams, an interpreter a third, and a fourth. Remember, he has the two dreams about his brothers bowing down before him and so forth, and he has the dream about the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down before him. He's got those two dreams. Then he has the baker and the butler in prison, and he is able to correctly interpret their dreams. So that tells him, ah, these dreams mean something. Then he is able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and as a result of those dreams and their interpretation, his circumstances are changed. So what he's able to do is infer, ha, these other dreams mean something. In other words, they're not just random stuff that went through my head. They actually mean something. And so then what he's able to do when he finally sees his brothers in front of him, in accordance with the first of his dreams, he can say, okay, got it. This is all part of God's plan. I'm obviously putting myself in his head and surmising, but you see how he's really got everything he needs to be able to reframe the situation to see it as part of God's plan where his brothers were simply an instrument. Perfectly logical once he understands that. So what he's able to do then is take himself out of the resentful younger brother who got jumped by his older brothers and put him into, ah, I'm God's instrument in a bigger plan. And when he's able to do that, then the resentment goes away because he releases it. Now, as you all know, in next week's Torah portion, now that dad has died, his brothers are going to go back into paranoia and say, all right, now that dad's died, Joseph is going to get even. And so he's got to reassure them that that's not the case. As I say, you very often have no control over your circumstances. But you always have control over what your circumstances mean. So let's look at what's going on. There's three groups of people. There's the brothers. Then there's Joseph. Then there's God. And each one of those sees the circumstances differently and puts different meaning onto it. So the brothers see it as Joseph is setting us up. This forgiveness act that he went through and now dad has died what he's been doing all this time is lulling us into a sense of complacency and now that dad's out of the way he's going to nail us from the brother's perspective what all this means is Joseph is setting us up from Joseph's perspective what this means is God has a plan I'm an actor in the plan and I see the plan and everything's okay From God's perspective, what's going on is this vignette is a step in the redemption of mankind on the way to the Messiah. So each one of these entities, if you will, sees this different and has a different meaning 
to the circumstances. Same circumstance, right? The actual script of the story doesn't change. Everybody has the same script, but each of them gives it a different meaning, which tells you that meaning requires a person. Meaning is not something that is generated by the world. Meaning is something that is generated by you in every situation. That's what Viktor Frankl is saying. You can't control your circumstances, but you can control how you react to them, and you can control what the meaning of it is in your frame of reference. That you have control over. And in order for there to be meaning, there has to be a person. Meaning is not something natural. Deer wandering through the woods looking for acorn, you know what the thing means. There's no meaning there. It's simply instinct and, and action. And don't get me wrong. Deer are really smart and they're really good at that. But there isn't any meaning. Meaning requires a person. So, let's look at this from God's perspective and Satan's perspective. Both God and Satan have access to your circumstances. As you go through life, God will arrange things. I'm not a Calvinist, by the way. But God will arrange things, very subtly often, so that stuff happens to you that gives you opportunities to grow and gives you opportunities to change. This is where the Musar thing comes in. We're going to talk about this afternoon. That's why I'm talking about this. So God will arrange situations so that you have an opportunity to grow, to change, to become closer to what he wants you to be. Satan will arrange things in your life to screw that up. Both of them have access to your circumstances. And what Satan wants you to do is see things as random, meaningless, paranoid, etc. In other words, what Satan wants you to do is to wind up your life damned and insane. That's his goal. That's what he wants. So what he's going to try and do is alter your circumstances to give you opportunities to say, this is random, this doesn't mean anything, or paranoid or whatever, so that you set up your meaning in a way that is like our hypothetical guy in the insane asylum. Your logic is setting you up to be insane. That's what Satan wants to do. What God wants to do is set it up so that you improve and grow and come closer to him. But the circumstances in both cases are often not under your control. They are either under God's control or under Satan's control. Your problem is to see the meaning of your circumstances in such a way that it furthers God's purpose for you and for your life. Going back to Joseph, his circumstances were rotten for about 20 years. Yet he was able to reframe all of that so that it meant something that allowed him to escape from bitterness, resentment, anger, insanity. He very well could have gone insane when he was thrown in prison after he'd been framed by Potiphar's wife. Very easy. 
but he didn't. He simply looked at his circumstances and said, all right, I'm in prison now, so I'll set things up so I run the prison and it runs well, just like I did for Potiphar, just like he eventually did for Pharaoh. I am going to look at this circumstance in a way that says God has a purpose for me. I'm not sure why I'm in this circumstance, but I'm going to make the best of this circumstance I can right now with the confidence and assurance that God has got something that he's teaching me here. Your alternative is to be angry with God. Anybody ever seen that? You see circumstances and you know, how could God do that to really important little old me? And you get angry with God. And what I'm suggesting to you is that's an error. That is Satan using your circumstances to make you insane, as opposed to God using your circumstances to make you grow. But your attitude toward your circumstances and your derivation of what your circumstances mean is under your control. Not under God's control, and it's not under Satan's control. You get to decide that. And what I'm suggesting to you is that you look at your circumstances, and in all cases, especially when they're not going the way you would like them to go, step back a second, look at them, and say, all right, what do I need to do here? What do I need to learn? How can I use this for God's glory and my growth? Shaman